Hello and welcome to episode 68 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent McCagliano of the USA Today Network. Coming off of a late night and an early wake up, drove back from Philadelphia last night where the Rangers beat the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of four to nothing. Got in around 1 a.m., probably got to bed close to 2 a.m. by the time I was actually sleeping, and then got a nice 6.50-ish wake-up call from the baby, which actually is not terrible. We've had worse. We've had better, but we've also had worse. But I was getting slapped in the face and uh, yelled at and (laughs) all kinds of other stuff that the baby likes to do to me while I'm trying to sleep. So been up for a while running on fumes, but I figured let's record this podcast, let's get the work done, and then hopefully can find some time this afternoon to catch up on a little bit of rest. So, first and foremost, we have a jam-packed episode for you today. A lot of stuff has happened since the last time we spoke, including the Rangers clinching a playoff spot, and one of the topics that I want to make sure to address on this week's episode, which I brought in a guest who's going to help us do that, is... The Rangers and this trend, or these trends, I should say, that I'm sure many of you have been hearing about and seeing and reading, basically showing that the Rangers have significantly improved a lot of their underlying numbers in the last month or so, but really especially when you look at since the trade deadline in the 11 games that they've played since March 21st. Not only are the Rangers, if you watch them eye test wise, playing, I think, a better brand of hockey than we saw earlier this season, definitely relying on their goaltending a lot less than they were earlier in the season. But when you look at expected goal charts and things like that, the Rangers have risen from where they were at the bottom of the league for a chunk of the season, especially in that first month or two, to now where in the last few weeks, especially, and like I said, even if you look back more a month or two, They are near the top of the league in a lot of those categories. So a lot of good things happening for the Rangers, especially since the trade deadline and trends that make you feel good and encouraged heading toward the playoffs. To help us break some of that stuff down, we're going to have Shana Goldman from The Athletic and Sportsnet, who really specializes in analytics. So we'll talk to Shana in just a little bit. But first, let's go over all the happenings of the last week. And first and foremost, We have to start at this point, which is the Rangers have clinched a playoff spot. They beat the Ottawa Senators on Saturday to do so. And I have to tell you guys, it was a really cool moment to be in the building at Madison Square Garden for. Most of you know I've been covering this team for three seasons now. So not from the very beginning of the rebuild, but when I arrived on on the beat, they were still very much in the throes of the rebuild. And... We've seen this steady climb. We've seen them building toward this moment. And the feeling that I got from hearing from a lot of you in the lead up to it and from being in the building that night and obviously being around the team and covering it for all this time is that there was sort of this moment of anticipation. I really, despite all the jokes we might have and the fun we might have on Twitter and on the podcast and things like that with people overreacting to every little decision that the Rangers make, We know that that's based in passion for this team. And what I really have been struck by in my time on the beat is that you guys have really shown an extraordinary amount of patience with this rebuild. I think the letter had a lot to do with it. I think the fact that the Rangers plainly told you 
where this was going and that they were going to tear it down and build it back up and the reasons for doing that, I think helped that become widely accepted. But I also think the fans deserve a lot of credit for doing that because we've seen in in big markets across all sports, and New York certainly is is a, a big market, the biggest market, that teams are reluctant to do that. Teams are reluctant to, to go through the rebuilding process because they don't want years where the team is not going to be competitive or not going to be in the playoff race because that hurts ticket sales, that hurts the buzz around the team, that hurts the bottom line. There, there's so many reasons why teams are reluctant to do that. The, the Rangers, I believe, for the most part, did it the right way, tore it down, accumulated assets, mainly being draft picks and young prospects, and now offset by a couple splashy additions, particularly Artemi Panarin, we see them reaping the benefits of that. And we see them heading into the playoffs as a viable contender just four years after the letter was initially sent. And I think all of that was playing into the emotions of the night at Madison Square Garden on Saturday. The crowd was lively. They were into it. They were singing. They, they were buzzing about all the good things that were happening. And the Rangers played a great game that night. So by the third period, it was like a celebration. It was a celebration of how far this team has come, of what they've accomplished. And it was it was really cool to be there in person, see it up close. The, the players after the game... They were a little careful. I think, you know, they didn't want to make this into a big celebration. They weren't popping champagne the way that you'll see in a baseball locker room after a playoff spot is clinched. But there was definitely some good vibes. They were definitely trying to soak in the moment as much as they could without getting too consumed with it because they know that there's a lot more work coming down the line with the playoffs now right around the corner. But the Rangers clinched a playoff spot with nine games remaining in the regular season. That, that is quite an accomplishment. That, that is really showing that they not only got off to a good start this season, which we know had a lot to do with Igor Shosturkin, but they got better as the season went on. They sustained the winning. They've never had any extended losing streaks. They've never really had any down periods that have lasted for more than a game or two. And now here they are, over 100 points on the season, cruising toward a playoff spot, looking like they're in a really good position for home ice advantage in the first round, still with an outside shot at first place. And there's a lot, I think, for people to sort of appreciate right now. Of course, you want to see what happens in the playoffs. If they go and get swept or whimper out quickly, you're not going to feel as good about this season. But getting to this point, I think, needs to be appreciated. I think you need to stop and smell the roses a little bit in in that moment. And that was certainly the vibe that I got being in Madison Square Garden on Saturday. Since clinching now, the Rangers have played two games, started Tuesday night with a loss to the Carolina Hurricanes. But I have to tell you guys, I actually think that this was an outcome that you could walk away feeling encouraged about. We've talked about and we will continue to talk about whether or not the Rangers even would want to finish in first place because that would likely mean a more difficult opponent in the first round. But putting that aside for a moment, I I thought what was really the more important takeaway was that the Rangers were right there with the best team in their division. They hung with the Hurricanes in that game. I thought certainly outplayed them in the first period outplayed them for the first 10 minutes or so of the second period. As the game wore on, Carolina obviously distanced themselves a little bit. But overall, 
Like you look at high danger scoring chances, it was even 10 apiece for that for both teams that game. The Rangers in previous games, especially the, the previous two this season, were outshot by such wide margins. It felt like they spent the entire games, the two that they played in Carolina, hemmed in their own zone, very little possession time themselves, putting a ton of pressure on their goalies. The only reason they split those two games in Carolina was because Alexander Georgiev had the game of his life in the second game, but the Rangers were thoroughly outplayed both times. That in-your-face, fast, pressure, forechecking style of the Hurricanes really seemed to give the Rangers fits. I still believe that that would be a really tough matchup for them in the playoffs, and, and Carolina is certainly high up on the list of teams that you would not want to see in a playoff series. But I did think that Tuesday's game, even though it was a loss, it represented a step in the right direction. It wasn't a do-or-die game for the Rangers. They've clinched a playoff spot. First place, listen, you'd love to hang the banner for it. Of course, there would be bragging rights involved with that. But first place really, at this stage, if we're being honest, is not a huge deal. What was a bigger thing for me was that they didn't feel like they were outmatched the whole game. It felt like they could hang with them. Now, there's still a long way to go to feel like you could actually beat that team in a seven-game series, but for me, especially coming off of a clincher, when they had locked a playoff spot up and there's always a possibility of a letdown, even though first place was on the line, I think it would have been fairly easy for a lot of people to and players on the team to not necessarily play 110% at every single moment in every single shift. So I thought the Rangers, especially in those first two periods, held their own, did pretty well, and it was it was a sign of improvement versus the previous five games against Carolina. The three when they got swept in the bubble back in 2020, and then the two previous games this season in Carolina. The Rangers look completely outmatched in those five games. That was not the case on Tuesday. So I'm not trying to paint this as as an overwhelmingly positive result, but I think that there were positives to take away from it. The Rangers move on from that game the very next night, Wednesday night, which is where I was last night, by the time you hear this on Friday morning, two nights ago, in Philadelphia. And the Rangers, I thought, in that game, in the first 10 minutes, looked like they were poised for a letdown. Philly, I think, had seven of the first eight shots. Philly had possession throughout the first 10 minutes or so of that game. Georgiev made some good saves to keep them off the board. And then the Rangers eventually did dig deep and rebound and ended up distancing themselves. They're they're clearly the better team against the Flyers. End up winning that game four to nothing. Felt like sort of a ho-hum victory for them. Not a very meaningful game as far as the standings or anything like that. But they collect two more points. And by far the most encouraging thing for them to come out of that game was Capo Caco scoring twice. Now, he's been back for three games. The last time that we spoke on the podcast, we were still waiting to find out exactly when he would rejoin the lineup. Kako returned for that Saturday game against Ottawa. I thought he looked understandably a little timid, not quite playing up to the pace of the game as you might expect after missing 31 games. But he's gotten a little bit better each night. And then Wednesday night, it popped for him. He scored the two goals. We're going to talk more later in the program because a lot of your questions were about that third line in particular. So we'll dive into some of that stuff. I'm going to save it for later. But Kako individually, to me, seeing him up close at practice and talking to him the other day after practice, he certainly looks 
I think, more bulked up than I've ever seen him before. And he talked about it. He said, even though it was an upper body injury, we know that it had something to do with the left wrist. He was able to skate the whole time. So his conditioning and his stanima, he feels like is in a good place right now. And he also said that he worked out a lot. He hit the gym way more than he would under normal circumstances had he been playing. So to me, he looks like he's thicker. He looks like he's, he's physically fit. Gerard Gallant made the same comment. He said he definitely thinks that he came out of this injury bigger and stronger. So I'm curious how that will translate onto the ice. This is a guy who we saw as a rookie, seemed a little tentative in the physical aspects of the game, definitely was a liability defensively. He's improved in the D zone, and he continues to get stronger. We see him looking pretty strong on the puck, increasingly so this season, prior to the injury, we should say. So he doesn't have a lot of time to ramp up. He doesn't have a lot of time to really get ready for playoff action. But you're very encouraged by the fact that he scored two goals, and you're hoping that as Gallant said on Wednesday, that he feels fresh. A lot of the guys are worn down right now, but Kako is in a position where he hasn't played a whole lot of hockey this season. His body probably feels pretty good right now, better than most, you would assume, and that might work to his benefit, especially if he can get a little confidence going right now, and and the two goals certainly help with that. As far as the standings, the Rangers win in Philly, move them back to within two points of the Hurricanes for first place, but the Hurricanes do have a game in hand. Honestly, at this point, you can't rule out first place, but it's certainly not an expectation of mine. I think it looks like the Rangers are pretty well locked into that second place spot, which is a good spot for them to be. They have a seven point lead over the Pittsburgh Penguins right now, who are in third place. And we've been kind of assuming that Pittsburgh was going to be the opponent for the first round. And that's still, the odds are, in favor of that, but the odds aren't as strong as they as they were a week or two ago because what we've seen in the last handful of games is that the Washington Capitals are gaining on the Penguins. The Capitals are behind the Penguins by three points right now, but they have two games in hand. So Washington has some time to make up ground, and I'm starting to feel like Pittsburgh versus D.C., as far as where the Rangers end up playing in the playoffs— it's starting to look a little more like an even chance. I would still say right now Pittsburgh is the more likely destination, but the Capitals have closed that gap significantly. So there's a chance the Rangers could end up playing the Capitals in the first round of the playoffs, which I also think is a more favorable matchup for them than let's say they passed Carolina for first place and they ended up having to play Boston or Tampa. I, I personally, as I told you guys before, I'd much rather see Pittsburgh or the Capitals in the first round versus the Bruins or the Lightning. Of course, as Gallant has pointed out, no matter who you play first, if you want to get to the ultimate goal of winning the Stanley Cup, you're going to have to go through all the best teams eventually. But for a young team like the Rangers, I think getting off to a good start against an opponent that you have some confidence against would be huge for them because things could snowball quickly if the series doesn't get off to the start that they would hope for. So I'd rather take my chances with Pittsburgh and then save the more difficult opponents for down the line. And I think the same thing can be said for the Capitals. The Capitals, like the Penguins, there's some Stanley Cup experience on that team, but it's also an aging team that has some flaws that the Rangers haven't looked overmatched against when they've played them head-to-head this season. So they actually will see the Capitals one more time before the end of the season, the last game of the year. 
to be exact. And, and, and we'll see how it plays out. But th- that's where the standings are right now. Rangers are comfortably in second place. And it's shaping up to be more of a race than we anticipated a little while ago between Pittsburgh and Washington for that third place spot. And that would likely be the Rangers opponent. Last thing I want to touch on before we get to Shayna is this. Alexi Lafreniere was scratched for the first time as a professional, probably ever, I'm sure, on Wednesday night in Philadelphia. And I heard from a source during the game and then Gallant confirmed it after the game that that was a strategic thing. The Rangers feel like Lafreniere has looked tired recently. Remember, his rookie season was only a 56-game season. He's never played a full 82-game schedule before. So the Rangers felt like he could use a breather. They felt like physically he's a little worn down. No injury is what we're, we're being told right now, but just felt like he could use a day. And I think that that was a smart move. It's going to create a little more complications as far as that third line goes, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I do think that it makes a whole lot of sense in these final seven, eight games for the Rangers to pick their spots to rest the guys that look like they could use a rest. Top of that list for me right now is the top D pair or number two D pair, whatever you want to call it, of Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren. Both of those guys, I think, have been dealing with some nagging stuff. Both of those guys, I don't think, have have looked as good or as consistent as they were early in the season. I thought in the first couple months of the season, Adam Fox looked like he was going to repeat as the Norris Trophy winner. Right now, I don't even think he's in the top two or three of that conversation. So that's not to say Fox has had a bad year. He's had a great year again. But I, I think that you're seeing signs that he's a little run down. He's a little tired. That He plays all situations, heavy minutes. We know how much of a burden the Rangers put on him. And I would pick a day to give him a rest. I would pick a day to give Lindgren a rest. I would pick a day to give some of your key forwards a rest. Now, it's going to get a little tricky with Zabanajad and Kreider in particular because those guys right now are on pace to pay, to play the full 82. And talking to a couple people about it in the last week, I, I think hockey players in particular take a lot of pride in saying, I played all 82. So there are four guys on the team right now that have a chance to do that. Kreider, Zabanajad, Truba, and Keandre Miller. So I think Gallant might have to go to those guys and say, hey, you tell me what you want to do, because if it means a lot to you to play all 82, I don't think he's going to deprive them of that. But other guys, even Panarin, Strom, for me, I don't understand why you wouldn't pick at least one game. They have seven more to play. Pick one in that seven to say, hey, take a night off, recover, get a massage, do whatever it is that makes your body feel good because we need you in tip-top shape and form for the playoffs. It's really interesting to me that hockey is so much different in that aspect than every other sport. Think about the NFL or Major League Baseball. As soon as those teams clinch a playoff spot, the next game, they rest like everybody. The NBA, they don't even wait to clinch. They, they have load management throughout the season. The NHL is the only major league where after a playoff spot is clinched, they seem somewhat reluctant to give their guys a rest. It's a pride thing. We know hockey is a blue-collar sport. We we got to give these guys a ton of credit for their toughness and the pride that they take 
in showing up to work every day and doing their job. But the number one priority down the stretch here has to be keeping guys healthy and, and helping them feel as fresh as possible. So for me, I think it's the right thing to do. They, they tried it with Lafreniere on Wednesday night. I'm curious to see how much more they try it in these final seven games. Gallant did admit after the game that there's a good chance, is what he said, of it happening with other guys down the stretch here. So we'll see. But the one thing I want to say on that subject is just I don't see why not. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if it were my call, which obviously it isn't, I think there's a handful of guys that I would go to and say, hey, let's pick a night here in these final seven and make sure that you get a night off. So we'll see what happens with that. But let's shift gears now and get to our conversation with Shayna, dive into some analytics, dive into some trends for the Rangers, and then we'll be back after that to answer your Twitter questions. And now let's welcome into the show a return guest. We had her on earlier this season, very early in the season, to talk about some of the troubling trends that we saw with the New York Rangers. Now she's back to talk about some of the encouraging trends that we've seen, especially since the trade deadline. That would be Shana Goldman of The Athletic and Sportsnet. So Shana, thanks for coming on. We appreciate you coming here and talking with us a little bit on the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Let's dive right in. I I know you told me you prepared a little spreadsheet, which I (laughs) I appreciate. We definitely appreciate the extra effort. And I have some specific questions I want to ask you, but I want to start with maybe your overriding opinion or what you're noticing from the numbers recently, especially since the trade deadline, like is anything jumping out to you that tells you that the Rangers are in a better spot than they were prior to the deadline? Yes. There's a lot of things that stand out. Obviously we could point to their record, but you can look at their five on five play and see that they're creating more offense, which is a major plus. This is a team that has a lot of finishing talent, but hasn't always been the strongest team below the surface at, you know, creating five on five offense and they rely on their power play for that. And they're limiting shots better. They still, they still have some problems like the, the slot they often let players walk right into and create a ton of shots from, but you know, there's improvements on both ends of the ice. And I think a lot of it has to do with addition by subtraction. You know, you look at the players they brought in, but you also look at who had to leave the lineup because as, you know, as complimentary as you can be of Barkley Goudreau or of Dryden Hunt, they're very good in their role, but ideally these aren't, top six players. And now you have the player like Andrew Kopp, who legitimately is, you know, a top six talent and he's clicking, you know, on the second line and you're bringing in players who are just have a higher ceiling. So that is like the biggest change. The, the thing that a lot of the players on the team keep talking about recently is, you know, they call them grade a chances. I know a lot of the, the public sites call them high danger chances, but those dangerous scoring opportunities for the opposition, the Rangers feel like they've really cut down on how many of those they've been allowing recently. And it seems like it's put a lot less pressure on their goaltending. We know Igor carried them a lot earlier in the season, but recently it feels like he hasn't had a stand on his head quite as much as that. Is that what you're seeing from the numbers as well? Yeah. So, you know, are they perfect at five on five? No, but there was a lot of room for improvement. You know, we look at their numbers from the, you know, first three quarters of the season before the deadline. And we could see that they were like a bottom five team, which maybe you wouldn't expect, you know, at allowing quality chances against and shot volume against or uh, chances off the rush against. And every single number was masked because their goaltending was taking care of it. Whenever Shostakin was in net, you know, there's a reason why he's coming out with quality starts almost every night and he's stealing games so often 
And you could see across the board, they are limiting those scoring chances off the rush and they're uh, limiting slot shots off the cycle. Like there's a lot of progress there. Is it perfect? No, but it's closer to maybe like middle of the road compared to the same teams over that span versus being a bottom five team, which, you know, at the end of the day is troubling for a team that's in playoff contention. You look at it and you go, it's great. They've made it this far. They have the finishing talent. They have the saving talent, but it's everything in between that you want to have for a more sustainable run. And there were rightfully red flags, but it seems like that's starting to trend in the right direction. Um, but the one argument you can make against that, obviously, is quality of opponent. So you're saying that you don't think they're controlling the chances as well against better opponents? They haven't had to face as many strong opponents as they have non-playoff teams, you know. So I give them a lot of credit for how they're protecting the net because they're helping Shesterkin that even when he isn't perfect, because he did have a stretch of a couple rough games, which I'm sure fatigue played into. He's never played a season of this length and the Rangers have kept him so busy. They're doing a better job at protecting him. So if he slips up at all, their chances to win aren't suddenly zero. Um, but it would be nice to see them tested against stronger opponents. The good teams that they played, you know, we saw Carolina. And, you know, it depends on the model you look at. For, for, for some models, it did look like, you know, it wasn't as imbalanced as others might show, but from like a shot quantity perspective, like they weren't the better team at five on five, but the otherwise, you know, the only playoffs teams they've gone up against consistently have been Pittsburgh. And that's a team that they definitely have their number. They definitely have been beating Pittsburgh. And you can't just look at that and go, well, we can't count it because Pittsburgh's been playing poorly against the Rangers. Like that's an important matchup, especially because they're slated to be round one opponents. But you are seeing that they're the better team against some non-playoff teams. And you just hope that it's something that can sustain against strong teams consistently. And they should have those opportunities, you know, before the season ends to, to be tested in those situations. I talked about this earlier in the show, but to me, that Carolina game represented progress. Because if you look at the previous two games they played against them this season, especially like look at the shot totals, that's, that's the easiest way to look at it. I think in they we know they went one and one in those games, but... The one game that they that they won, Georgiev pitched a shutout, probably the best game he's ever played as a Ranger, and they got outshot, I think, 44 to 18. So yeah. those games felt like they were playing the entire game in their own zone, whereas this game on Tuesday night, I really felt like was a pretty evenly played game. Carolina pulled away a little bit in the end, but I thought the Rangers were the better team in the first period. And overall, I mean, I know, like, for example, I looked at natural stat trick. They had the high danger chances 10-10 for each team, and it felt like an evenly played game to me. So I did think that they showed signs of progress in that game against Carolina on Tuesday. No, I totally agree. Because you can look at their last game against Carolina. You mentioned, you know, I think Georgiev saved 5.4 goals above expected. That took his season total, which was really low ranking in the league, and brought it like around average or slightly above average. Like it made that much of a difference. That was an absolutely wild game. And they were chasing the entire time. And Carolina's, you know, it's an interesting team too, because you have to talk about like the stylistic matchup and the way that they're such a, you know, they're an aggressive four checking team. They're going to beat you in the corners. They're just going to pour shots on you. And the fact that they didn't bleed shots against a team that can do that to you, like that's something that is, you know, they're rightfully the first place team in the league. This is, you know, this is a team that you look at their defensemen, every single one of them can block passes. Every single one of them can block shots. You know, there's so much about that team that makes them that true contender. Um, so if the Rangers keep pace with that, that is a lot of progress. And, you know, ideally the next night they wouldn't come out as flat against a team like the Flyers who are also coming off a back to back. Like, sure. You can have some red flags because it was an incredibly bland game, 
but it, it's not something that I'm going to, you know, look at and go, well, all of that progress is done. It, it was a bad game. It was a bad game off the back to back, but the fact that they managed against a Carolina team, the way they did is a huge step in the right direction compared to their previous matchups. Yeah. And, and they end up beating the flyers for nothing. So I think, I yeah, think they'll, they'll exactly. take that result. It seemed like they rebounded. I thought the first 10 minutes were not, were certainly not good, but they rebounded yes. after that. Now, when you look at the trade deadline, guys, in particular, Cop and Vetrano, because now Mott, we don't think we're going to see him for a long time. If we see him at all, it sounds like he could. There's a possibility for sure that he's out the rest of the season. But Vetrano on that top line with Zabanajad and Kreider, I mean, Mika and, and Kreider have been so good all season. It seems like no matter who they play with. But are you seeing anything in particular about Vetrano's impact on that line? So it's nice to see both top six lines have NHL caliber wingers to complete them. I think that's, you know, huge step in the right direction right there. Um, Vitrano with Kreider and Zibanejad, he's clicking with them. You know, they're creating more shots for the team. They're creating more quality chances for the team. Their actual results, I think their actual goal share is around 80%, which is wildly high, maybe higher than it should be. And again, finishing talent is one thing to consider, which all three players do have, especially Kreider this season. And saving is the other consideration. Like you can't, you know, measure that perfectly against their performance, but you can't, you know, set them aside altogether either. Um, There's definite signs of encouragement. I think one of the biggest things too is if they decide that line doesn't work, because maybe at one point they do think it gets stale or that they need to shake up other combinations. They have more options to do it than they did before. They could put Vetrano on the second line. They could throw Strom on the wing on the first line if they wanted to and have Cop down the middle and go with Vetrano with Panarin, which would be a little more radical, but I'm just saying like, there's that many options when you have Lafreniere, you know, you can put him on the right. He clicks with Savannah, Jad and Kreider so well, you can keep him on the left. You can move Kako up. Like now all of a sudden there's this opportunity to start mixing and matching pairs if they get stale. And I think that's like a sign of a deeper team. You can look at a team like St. Louis, how many 20 goal scores they have and how many ways you can mix up that top nine group and think, okay, if they run into a wall in the playoffs, can they, you know, reset themselves? And earlier this season, we saw how many ways they couldn't do it. They didn't have the talent to do it. No matter what, one line was going to be weak or there would be some sort of like defensive weight on a line that wasn't, you know, pulling their game up offensively. So now they have that versatility that they're missing. What about Cop with Panarin and Strom? It, it looks like it's been working really well. Cop is obviously, I think he's at a point per game, if not a little above that since he's come to the Rangers. But are, are you seeing anything that's telling you that that's a combination that the Rangers need to stick with as well? I think that there's potential there and I don't think I would break them up just yet, but I do think if they notice them starting to get stale, maybe it's worth mixing it up. But I think the most important thing is how Panarin's playing now. Um, This season, I think a lot. He's been awesome recently. Right. And so how many times this season did you watch him go like, maybe he's battling an injury, like "Mm, maybe something looks off because I know he's this outstanding elite talent and he's still getting points, but maybe something doesn't look like he's that game changer every single night. And so I was curious about it. And I was like comparing his actual scoring to his game score, which does factor in his point. So if your game score is falling behind your point totals, it likely means something below the surface isn't lining up. And that was the case for Panarin through much of the season until around the deadline. You know, he was having the best games of his season since then, you know, like against Detroit, he really picked it up um, and started trending in the right direction. So the fact that he's now playing at his best and maybe part of it is the change in lines, you know, the fact that it's a player like cop who is still sound defensively, which is important. That's something that they've always tried to make an effort to have on that line, whether it was Jesper Foster, Colin Blackwell, it didn't quite work with Barkley Goudreau or Dryden Hunt because they 
as much as they could be trusted defensively, which honestly their shots against and quality chances against with that, them on the ice still were kind of poor. Um, they weren't threading the needle offensively. Like you still have to, you can't just be on the line as a passenger. You have to find a way to complement these players. And a player like Cop is doing that. He's putting in the work that they need to make that, that, you know, the duo that we know of Strom and Panarin can click. And he's completing it in a way that they haven't had much this season. So right there alone, even if maybe their numbers aren't the best, because, you know, you look at it and you're like, it's okay. Maybe it's getting stale. Maybe they need to shake it up a little bit. Um, it's better than it was. And Panarin has elevated his game. So if you can have your best player in a position to succeed right there, you're doing something correct. I, I think the top six is working really well right now. And it seems like the Rangers want to keep it that way. The question that uh, I address a lot in the final segment of the show, but we can touch on a little bit here is the third line. Now I've, I've watched it and I've looked at the numbers. If they haven't really played together this season, as far as the kid line of the third line with Lafreniere, Heedle, and Kako, they did play last year and the results were poor. Their expected goal rate was like 43% together. And, and I just feel like, that line is, I don't know if it's redundant or inexperienced or whatever. They seem to perform better when they have a veteran, a stabilizing presence. It worked really well with Gaudreau uh, last night in Philly. It's, it, I think, presumably, my thought is it could work with Cop as well. And then that would give you the ability to move Kako up with Panarin and Strom. And then the top six just feels a little more balanced to me. But I'm curious if you have any thoughts or have seen any, any statistics that indicate that the kid line is a good or a bad thing. I I'm with you. I think it's redundant. I think we've seen it a couple times now and there's potential there. I think there's potential too. like, we see how well Heedle and Kako can click. I think we saw that perfectly last night. They were creating, you know, these, you know, great scoring opportunities and obviously had the results to match it. We've seen Lafreniere click with Heedle and we've seen Lafreniere and Kako click, but for some reason you put all three together and something's just missing. Um, one combination they worked with a bit last year that was interesting to me was Ryan Strom down the middle of that line. It was an all offense line. Uh, they had a ton of shots for it. They had a ton of quality chances for it. They didn't allow much, you know, back, which was encouraging, but I do think that their numbers would have to be somewhat sheltered. So maybe if they do feel that they need offense, that's an option if they opt to have cops stay with, uh, Panarin, but yeah, you're right. A cop could work down the middle there. He could work on the line, you know, on the wing as well. Um, Barkley, Barkley Goudreau clicked there as well. Uh, I don't know how much Dryden Hunt should be there versus the fourth line. I think he is a little better suited for the fourth line. Had Mott not been injured, he would have been the player I'd like to see, you know, get that chance on the third line because he's so speedy, so disruptive, and very sound in his own zone. I mean, he was a player that I thought would have been interesting alongside Panarin and Strom if they needed lineup balance and thought Cop would have been better suited for the third line. So the biggest thing is just finding a way to have three strong lines. We know what their fourth line is going to be. And at this point, since they've made additions and pushed some players down to the fourth line, whether it's Goudreau or Hunt, it, strength, it strengthened it right there. But you want to have three scoring lines at the very least. Ideally, you have four scoring lines. But we, we know like the realities of the roster still and some of the offensive upside of the players they have. And if they can contribute, great. But as long as they're not you know defensive liabilities, that's good enough. It's progress. Um they definitely need to figure out how to make that third line click though. And it's a question of whether it's Lafreniere there. Um, if it's Kako there, I do wonder if he's better suited for the top six, you know, maybe as he gets back to his game, you know, game speed, it takes a while to do that. No matter what, as much as you can practice to get game reps in, that's the biggest thing. Um, could he eventually replace Vetrano in the top six? And maybe we see Vetrano play there. Or if it is a player like a who stays in that position to provide balance, 
they have time now. That's the most important thing. They have all this time now that they're clinching their playoff spot. And it's not saying just throw everything at the sink and, you know, throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. Um, but you have time to experiment and see what works. And we see good teams doing that. Like I know Colorado at one point was like, let's see how Andre Burakovsky works on the first line. Because if we see we get shut down in the playoffs like we did against Vegas last year, we need to know that we have options to start mixing things up. So like now's their opportunity to do this and see who has chemistry, who clicks, whose skill sets work together. I, the interesting thing with Gaudreau is if you play him in the top nine, who are you taking out? And and that I think is sort of the delicate question here because you're not going to play Lafreniere, Kako, or Hedl on the fourth line. At least I don't think so. I can't see that happening. So Gaudreau seems like the logical candidate, but then you're you go back to having potentially that kid line, which you and I both don't seem too convinced is the right way to go. So that's going to be really interesting to to watch. My my last question for you, Shana. Do you have looking ahead to the playoffs? Now we've established this team since the trade deadline is deeper, has way more lineup options and has been playing better, both eye test and analytics. But do you have one foremost concern for this team as far as, you know, how well they can do in the playoffs and if they can actually go on a run? It's definitely um, working on five on five play. And it's more than anything working on five on five offense. Uh, the Penguins have a really good penalty kill. This is something, as long as they match up in the playoffs, presuming that they do, Jesse Marshall and I are going to do a breakdown comparing the Rangers power play, which we know is one of the best in the league, to the Penguins penalty kill, which is one of the best in the league. So you need to ensure that you have offense if your power play can't do what you needed to do. And there's reason to believe that they'll be fine given their success this season, but you never know in a playoff, you know, in a playoff run, if it's not good one game, everything could change the next game, but you could also be shut down for five or six games. And, you know, it's definitely going to be tough if your power play isn't clicking and that can happen in a series. Um, So it's just being prepared for that. And by being prepared, it's making sure that your offense where the majority of the game is played is at its best. And we've seen, you know, I think this year was tough too, because you have the roster considerations and maybe how they didn't have as many high end offensive players before the deadline with the new coach, bringing in a new system. There were a couple changes that they had to deal with, but at this point, like this is the time to figure out exactly how to make this offense click at five on five. And obviously this isn't flip on a light switch and it works, but you have the talent now you have, you know, a lot of your players are back and healthy. So you have Kako in the lineup. You have the option of Rooney. You have players who play wing, you have players that play center and you have players who can finish most importantly. So now you just need to find the right combinations and right, you know, strategies. And maybe it is adjusting it. Maybe it's tweaking some things that the players have been doing earlier in the season and noticing you know, whether it's adjusting the system to fit them a little bit better or encouraging them to do things and approach it differently, whatever it may be, like the rest of the season should just be a testing ground for what they can do to make their five on five offense as strong as they can make it in this short time. And the power play thing is a little bit more of a concern right now because it's it's been in a bit of a slump. I think it's four games in a row now where they haven't had a power play goal. I think it's six of the last seven. I'm, I'm doing that off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. So the power play has hit a little bit of a rut here, and that will, as you touched on, increase the por- the importance of scoring at five on five. They've been better at that for sure since the trade deadline, and you want to see it keep heading in that direction. And, of course, finalizing these line combinations will be a big part of that. All right, Shana. Well, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate the time. Thanks as always. Sorry for talking your ear off for a while before we even started, but uh, thanks for coming on and hopefully we'll do it again down the line. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Happy to do it.
Welcome back. Thanks again to Shayna for taking the time to come on the show. If I'm being honest with you guys, my interview with Shayna is scheduled for later. I'm recording this final segment before I've talked to her, so I can't even necessarily recap the conversation because we haven't had it yet, but I'm sure it was a good one. Shayna, <laughs> Shayna thank you for coming on. Uh, I'm sure we talked about some really insightful stuff, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. So we will transition quickly in this case to your Twitter questions and... There were really two topics that repeatedly came up in the questions that I've received, not only in the hour or two lead up to the show, but also in the last couple days. So I'm going to address those two questions and then we'll have a little fun at the end because I saw a couple things that I thought would be a fun way to end the show. So sticking to the serious topics first, we're going to start with Vitaly Kratsov because that was probably the question I got asked most this week. I wrote about it extensively for a story that went up on loha.com slash sports slash rangers on Thursday morning. So definitely encourage everybody to go check that one out because I really dove into a lot of the nuances and the ins and outs of the situation. And I think to properly understand everything that goes into this decision it needs to all be laid out. You can't just have a hot take on this. There's a lot of baggage here that needs to be unpacked. I'm going to quickly try to recap it now, but again, go read that story if you want to dive a little bit deeper. I told you guys from the very beginning, before the season even started, when Kratzoff left the team, refused the assignment to the AHL, went back to Russia, and then the Rangers eventually loaned him to Tractor in the KHL, At the time, once things cooled down a little bit, we were sort of led to believe and the Rangers were saying, we're going to let him play the full KHL season, but once that's over, we will consider recalling him and bringing him back. I told you guys at that time, and I've been saying it all along ever since, I was highly skeptical of that happening. And then when the time came, and Tractor was eliminated earlier this week. Kratzoff, by the way, had a really good playoff run with them. They went to the, I, I believe it's the equivalent of a conference final in the KHL, and he led the team with seven goals in their 15 playoff games. Right away, asked around a few different places about it, and basically heard, nope, they are not recalling him right now. And I think that was an obvious answer. Of course, I wanted to make sure that I talked to as many people as possible before writing the full story and telling everything. But I reported, I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday, that the Rangers would not be recalling him. And that's how they're moving forward. You're not going to see Kratzoff this season playing for the Rangers. That's that's out of the question. And there's, there's a variety of reasons that I think that this was the right call. You guys have heard me on the in the past. You can go back and listen to the episode that I believe I recorded on the day that he refused the assignment, where at the time, I felt like the Rangers really whiffed because by making the decision to send him to Hartford, knowing everything that we knew about his displeasure with being sent down in the past and the fact that he was of the belief that he was going to make the roster coming out of training camp this year. It was painfully obvious to me and many others that he was not going to take that news well, and it was going to potentially cause the Rangers some problems, and it did. So 
I thought at the time the Rangers' handling of that situation was highly questionable, and I will maintain that take. But for now, making the decision in this moment about whether it would make sense to bring him over, I absolutely think the Rangers made the right call by saying no, and there's some reporting and some information behind that, and there's also just some logic and some connecting of the dots that I think when you lay it all out, most people seem to grasp and understand and agree with. The The number one thing is if you brought him here right now, he's not going to play. He would be brought over here to be a healthy scratch. The Rangers are never going to play a player like that on their fourth line. We're going to talk about the line construction in a minute, but Kratzoff is not a fourth line type of player. And if you look at their top three lines, you got nine spots in those top three lines. The Rangers have a minimum of 10 forwards right now who they would have on their depth chart ahead of Kratzoff for those top nine roles. So you would need like three injuries for them to even consider putting him in the lineup. So to bring him over here to be a healthy scratch doesn't make a whole lot of sense to begin with. On top of that, now this is the thing that I wanted to touch on in the story and I'll touch on again here because I had people saying to me, Uh, What does it say about the Rangers? Everybody talks about how good the locker room chemistry is this year. Well, it can't be that good if they think that bringing over Kratzoff would ruin the chemistry and absolutely turn the team on its head. Well, it's not that they believe or anybody thinks that it would absolutely make the locker room crumble bringing him here. But think about it from the perspective of the players who have been there all season long that have been working hard and doing every little thing that they can to help this team achieve their goal of making the playoffs. If you're going to bring a guy in now with seven games left and then he would need practice time and whatever, and all of a sudden he's going to take a spot away from somebody who's been here all year or even somebody who's been here since the trade deadline, I'm telling you that would rub certain players the wrong way. And I'm also telling you that if you don't think that the way that things went down in the preseason – Kratzoff refusing the assignment and bailing on the team. There are guys in the locker room who did not appreciate that, that did not sit well with certain people. I'm telling you that. So it's not that bringing him back would all of a sudden make everybody start fighting with each other, but it would be risking a disruption. It would be risking something that some guys on the team don't feel great about at a time when the team is playing well, He wouldn't be in their lineup anyway. And the locker room vibes and chemistry by all accounts are as good as they've been in a really long time. This team feels incredibly tight knit right now. They have all been completely on brand and on point talking about whatever's best for the team being completely unselfish. I think Chris Kreider, if you've heard him describe what it means for him to get 50 goals and deflect all those questions and always bring it back to the team. He really sets the tone for that. But this is the team that feels great about what they've accomplished. And they've had certain guys put their egos aside. They've had certain guys come in and out of the lineup. They've had guys come in at the trade deadline, which is also a tricky situation. But that was very strategic. You look at the guys that they brought in. They were guys that had relationships with players in the locker room. We know about Cop and Vetrano and Mott and their history with the U.S. National Development Program and University of Michigan, and they've played with Truba and they've played with Kreider. So 
there was definitely some thought put into how those guys would fit. And also at the deadline, everybody around the team was expecting trades to be made, additions to be made. And there were guys who were slightly nervous about that, but it was something that everybody had kind of braced for. Once they got past the trade deadline, the mindset was, these are the guys we're going to war with. These are the the guys that we're competing with, that we're going to go into the playoffs with, and we're going to do our best with these guys to go as far as we can. Most of those players have been here all season. In the cases in particular of Vetrano, Cop, and Justin Braun, we know Tyler Mott is is probably not going to be an option for the Rangers for a while. I actually got a lot of questions about him, so can quickly touch on Mott and tell you guys, do not expect to see him in the regular season, in the first round of the playoffs. They, they haven't completely ruled him out for the season, but they've called it a significant injury. And it sounds to me like the only chance he has of coming back would be like way later. If the Rangers go on a run, maybe second round or conference final or something like that. A lot of people keep asking me about Mott and when he's going to be back. The Rangers are not planning for him to be in the lineup for their first round series from all I can tell. So Mott, you might not see him again, it looks like. And if you did, it would be down the line, like much later in the playoffs is a sense that I've gotten with him. That's completely off topic, but let's get back to Kratzoff. But the the overwhelming point I'm trying to make here is that it's not a matter of the Rangers being worried that the locker room chemistry would be completely ruined if you brought Kratzoff in, but it could cause a ripple. It could rub certain guys the wrong way. And why risk that when you know the guy is not even going to be in your lineup? So I, I think it's the right call. I think... The guys in the locker room, it's it's incredibly tight right now. They are ready to go to battle with each other. And, and you got to give them the opportunity to do it with the guys that, that are in that room that have been fully committed this season. It, it would not send a good signal to, to bring somebody in at this stage, especially somebody who, when asked to go to the minors and bide his time, whether it was the right decision or the wrong decision, when he was asked to do that, he said no and sort of left the team hanging because we saw what happened. The injury bug hit them shortly after. He probably would have been recalled within like a week. And when they needed him, he wasn't there for him. So I I don't think that it would be well received by everybody on the team to have him back in this moment. As far as what the future holds for Kratzoff, listen, I've told you guys this before. There's going to be posturing. There's going to be PR stuff. Both sides quickly came to the understanding that the way that things went down in the preseason didn't look good for either one of them. So initially, there was a lot of tension. There was a lot of anger both ways. And it felt like a really bad situation. They've worked to tone that down. Things have definitely eased up as far as the bad feelings going back and forth and all that. But there's also a method behind wanting the public to believe all of that. The Rangers weren't able to get anything that they considered to be a worthy offer for him in a trade. And the only way to boost his value is to let him play in the KHL, renew some of his value that way by playing well, which he's mostly held up his end of the bargain with that, but also to tamp down on the perception that this is a big problem situation. So... Of course, they're going to come out and make it sound like there's a possibility that he could be on the team next season, just like they made it sound like there was a possibility that they could recall him when the KHL season was over. But 
as far as I can tell, not much has changed in terms of the ultimate conclusion to this. And that is that Kratzoff would prefer to be elsewhere and the Rangers would prefer to move on. So no matter what is said and done in the coming weeks and months, I still believe this is ultimately heading toward a trade. Could that change? Of course, anything can change. All situations like this are always fluid. And if the Rangers don't get a deal that they like this offseason during the summer, they probably would have no choice but to invite him to camp and see what happens. But I'm still not completely buying that this is heading in any direction other than a trade. When it comes, I think I've told you guys before that Chris Drury is going to be patient. He's not going to force it. He's under team control for a number of years moving forward. The Rangers do not have any kind of a hard deadline on making this deal. But if a trade comes along this summer, whether it's for draft picks or whether they include Kratzoff in a package for a player that they need, maybe a second-line center, I absolutely believe that they're going to be shopping him around as they have been shopping him around. So that's where it stands with that. There was never much of a chance of him coming back this season. The reasons for it, I think, are pretty obvious and very fair. And we'll see what happens this offseason, but my belief is a trade will be how this ends up. All right, let's go on to our next question. And a lot of people asked a version of this question, but I'm going to pick one right here, which I thought was, was pretty well said. And that comes from Mark Panzer, who wrote, With everyone healthy... Does Gigi go with the kid line for the playoffs? You have to, right? I like Gaudreau on the third line, but none of Lafreniere, Kako, Philip Heedle seem like a fit for the fourth line, and you can't mess with the top six right now. Plus, Goody would make the fourth line more significant. That's how he rides game one, question mark. Well, Mark, this is, I think, one of the most pressing questions that we're going to be keeping an eye on in these final seven games as we brace for the playoffs. We talked last week about my reservations going with that quote-unquote kid line for the playoffs. And my sense is that the Rangers have some of those reservations too. For me, and I've written this, and I've said this before, and I'll probably continue to say it, I would prefer more balance. Now, I absolutely get that Andrew Kopp has been playing really well on that second line, especially with Artemi Panarin. And I absolutely get that it's very beneficial for the Rangers to see how Kopp does with Panarin because Kopp, I'm going to write about this more. I don't want to give too much away, but I'm, I'm working on a story that's going to be coming out sometime before the playoffs, breaking down sort of the future for that second line and the future for what the Rangers are going to do at center. And all the signs I'm getting is that the Rangers are very seriously considering Cop as an alternative if things don't work out with Ryan Strome. So there's a lot of valid reasons for the Rangers to want Cop to play with Panarin. Number one, it's been working. And number two, it helps you because you're trying to see if that could be a long-term fit. But as far as what gives the Rangers the best chances of success in the playoffs, I still go back to believing that it balances the lineup more if Kako plays on the second line with Panarin and Strom and Kopp moves down to the third line to give that veteran presence, that two-way presence, that forechecking, that defense, that face-off ability in particular, having him play with Lafreniere and Hedl. 
it doesn't seem like the Rangers want to try that. And it's for the reasons that I stated with them liking cop on the second line. But now the question becomes, so what do you do? Do you roll out the kid line? We have not seen it yet. Kako came back on third on Saturday, I'm sorry. But Heedle went out for a couple games with an upper body injury. Then Heedle came back on Wednesday, and Lafreniere was a scratch. Gallant said that Lafreniere will be back in the lineup for Saturday's game against Detroit. So presumably, that will be the first game when Lafreniere, Heedle, and Kako are all in the lineup at the same time in a long while. So I think there's a chance we're going to see that line on Saturday. But on the other hand, Gallant came out after Wednesday's game and said that that third line with Kako, Heedle, and Goudreau was their best line in that game. So that also, on the other hand, makes me think, well, I don't think he's going to want to break that line up right now. So I'm very curious to see how he plays it for Saturday's game. I highly doubt he's going to tell us prior to the game. I think we're going to have to wait to warm-ups to find out. It's a 12:30 game, so early afternoon game for you guys. I'm marking it down on your calendars. But I think it's it's a really, really interesting dilemma because, as you mentioned, Mark, Goudreau is a much better fit on the fourth line than any of those kids. So putting Goudreau on the fourth line and mixing and matching, whether it's Ryan Reeves or Dryden Hunt or Kevin Rooney, that shapes up to be a really quality fourth line that does all the things that Gerard Gallant wants from his fourth line. But that leaves you with a third line that's inexperienced, that is not very well-rounded, and that I would be really curious to see how Gallant would use in the playoffs because I couldn't see him having a whole lot of confidence in those three guys in a big situation in a playoff game. I feel like they wouldn't get a ton of minutes if he keeps those three together. So, again, this, as far as lineup construction, if the Rangers keep the top six the way that it is, it's going to be a big question mark about what he's going to do on that third line. And if he's going to go with the kids, you got to do it soon because you've only got seven games left and they haven't played together in a long time. So you got to start letting them at least work out kinks and start to build a little bit of chemistry in, in these very few games that you have left. But it, it's a question that I don't think there's a clear cut right answer for, but <laughs> there's just, it's like no matter which way you go with it, there are concerns. I, I could kind of see it both ways if I'm being honest with you. And for me, the fallback, if you can't feel like that kid line is fully trusted, and if I'm being honest, I have my reservations, I would really strongly consider moving Cop down and putting Kako on the second line. But right now, it doesn't look like that's where the Rangers are leaning. Could change, though. You definitely could see some experimentation in these last seven games. All right, quickly, because we're running short on time here, we're going to run through a couple of food questions. And this, this, is, this is big, right? I know a lot of you guys are interested in what we're eating on the road, and you know that I love to eat. So I got a couple in here that I want to quickly address. There was one question. Where is it? Here we go. Christian P616 wants to know my top three MSG foods. Now, I've teased this a little bit. 
I might just do a tweet with it all, maybe even put it into a story and have some fun with it. I don't know yet. But I have, in the last three seasons, I believe, eaten at every concession stand in Madison Square Garden, or pretty much everyone. I think I've tried all the stuff that's worthwhile for trying. And I'm sort of formulating in my head now a top 10 list. We can tease a little bit with the top three, and I can give you guys a glimpse into the top contenders, right? For me, the strongest contender for number one at this moment is the prime rib sandwich. The prime rib sandwich at Madison Square Garden is on point every time I've had it. Nice, medium rare meat. You have options for toppings, onions, mushrooms, cheese, all that kind of stuff. But the prime rib sandwich with the dipping sauce on the side, you dip it into the au jus. That's right up there near the top. I'm not 100% sure if it's going to be number one, but that is certainly one of my favorites. I would also point to the new taco stand, Sleeper. You guys, I think it's Cantina Taco it's called. I got to double check that. But the new taco stand in the on the sixth level, I know that. I think it's in the 200s. It used to be a Philly cheesesteak stand, and they converted it to a taco stand this season. I've had a couple dishes from there. The tacos are on point, like much higher quality tacos with a really good mix of toppings on them than you would ever expect to find in a stadium or in an arena at a game. It's like tacos that I would go and buy on my own in you know a little taco shop or something like that. Really good. I've had the brisket tacos. I've had the steak tacos. I've had the chicken tacos. Enjoyed them all. So the taco stand is a new sleeper. Definitely suggest people trying that. The Mama Fuku spicy chicken sandwich. I'm a big fan of spicy chicken sandwiches, and I think that's the one, the best one that MSG has to offer. Daily Burger. The, the burger there is pretty good. The one thing I'm not crazy about with burgers is I like my burgers medium rare, and I don't like not being able to order it the way that I like it. It's kind of hit or miss. Sometimes you get that medium rare. Sometimes it's a little more medium. But they have a bacon onion jam on that with fries. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to beat that. That's really good. And a sleeper, a sleeper for you guys. I know I gave you the sleeper with the taco stand, but another sleeper for you guys. If you're going to a game and you don't want to be a complete, what's the right way to put this? Uh, we would call it a gavon in Italian, a complete uh, guy who's eating unhealthy, let's say. You want something that has maybe a couple vegetables in it, maybe a little less fattening than a burger or a prime rib sandwich or a spicy chicken sandwich that's deep fried. The Kobayaki stand. It's not as good as the ones that you'll find outside of the stadium. Like there's a bunch of them in the city. But the chicken teriyaki bowl, I go to that quite a bit because it's chicken and vegetables and rice. And you eat it and you don't feel like you you had a massive meal that's going to you know, make you feel gross for the rest of the day or anything like that. So the Kobayaki chicken bowl is definitely one that I like to dive into every now and then, probably honestly more than anything else, because if I'm eating burgers every night, I'm going to end up uh, putting on way more pounds than I want to during the season. So that's that's one that I go to when I'm feeling like I want to eat a little bit lighter. Bunch of other stuff that I would throw in there. Obviously, the Carnegie Deli, you can get the corned beef or the pastrami sandwiches. Those are always really solid. I'm going to come out with the complete list and figure out decisively how I want to rank them. But if you're asking my advice on where to eat those five or six places that I just named, I know you only asked for three, Christian, but, you know, I got a lot to say on this topic. So I ended up naming more than that. I would definitely suggest checking those out. All right. 
That is going to do it for this week's episode. I'm going to call it and go and try to have a relaxing afternoon, catch my breath a little bit, maybe sneak in a nap while the baby's napping if I can. I hope you guys enjoy the show. Definitely thanks again to Shana for coming on the show this week. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will be back next week. I believe it'll be a Friday episode again because the Rangers have a Thursday game. I will confirm that with you, but that is where I'm leaning right now. But in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I will talk to you next time.